Whitley Strieber was a moderately successful writer. Then he hit a lull. As Dave's often humorless intros show, we all write some stinkers every now and then. And that's exactly what happened to Strieber. Until 1987, that is, when Strieber released his first nonfiction book, Communion, detailing his experience being abducted two years prior. Is this a true first-hand account of a terrifying alien encounter? Or is this the imagination of a desperate man trying to save his career? I'm Mike. I'm Ian. And I'm Dave. If the term communion conjures up fond memories of your carefree days as an altar boy, stick around. Because just like those fun-filled Sunday mornings, the highlight of this story is an anal probe. This is Necronomapod. Uh, before this happened, I was leading just an ordinary writer's life. You know, I was uh, I wrote a book about uh, uh, nuclear war back during the Cold War. I wrote a book about uh, environmental problems. I'd written some novels. And then all of a sudden, one night in um, December of 1985, this very peculiar event took place. Yeah, you were visited. I was not visited. I woke up in what appeared to be a nightmare situation in this stuffy little round room with all of these large-eyed sort of faces peering at me and uh, a machine that kept saying, what can we do to help you stop screaming? Ian, what's the difference between an enzyme and a hormone? I don't know. Why? What? Can't hear an enzyme. (laughs) 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 Welcome to Necronomapod. (laughs) Today we're having some fun. It's comedy hour. Open mic night. (laughs) Waka, waka, waka. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to bring out a whoopee cushion next. Um, before we get into this episode, I need to ask, does, does Whitley Strieber have any grandkids that are trained in professional fighting or mixed martial arts or have the ability to kick my ass, uh, much like previous alleged abductees? He does not. Okay, good. Cause I'm gonna run my mouth tonight. <laughs> <laughs> so classic at- in the UFO world. Yeah? yeah. One of the big ones. Yeah, as far as I think so, as far as being, uh, I guess, successful from his story and always being on Art Bell, you know, on coast to coast and taken at his word in a lot of circles, right? Uh, no, not really. I got that impression that he was kind of respected, and I guess it depends on which circle you're talking about. (laughs) Fair enough, Dave. Were you at all disappointed when you heard we were going to be doing an episode on the book Communion? And then found out it wasn't going to be a chance to shit on religion all night. <laughs> no, I read the, I read, well, I read some of that. I've seen the movie. I think I read some of this, you know, a long time ago. Yeah. That's where I actually finished it. But as we'll get into later the, about the movie, we'll talk about it. But did you rate it as low as Rotten Tomatoes did? I looked at a, a super cut of some clips from the movie. And yeah, it's as bad as I recall. <laughs> it's ridiculous. This <laughs> is not good. So in this case, Rotten Tomatoes got this one right. I think that's right. Unlike movie 43. 33% might be pretty high. I think On the so, rating yeah. scale. They actually got it wrong in the sense they rated yeah, it too it's a little good. high, I think. <laughs> Even for Christopher Walken. What was the last abduction story we did? Copley Woods? No, Terry Lovelace. Oh, that was a good one. Yeah. Devil's Den. Mm-hmm. 
That wasn't that long ago, actually. Yeah, a couple weeks ago. Look at us mixing things up pretty well. So, all right. You want to dive in? So Whitley Strieber was born on June 13th, 1945 in San Antonio, Texas, and went to high school at Central Catholic, then college at the University of Texas and the London School of Film. He graduated from each of those schools in 1968 and then went to New York City to work for an advertising firm. Whitley ended up being the vice president of that firm, but quit in 1977 to focus on a career in writing. Was Mad Men based on his exploits? Look here, Dan, pour me a (laughs) scotch and... uh... I've never watched that show. I haven't either. Oh, really? I'm surprised. Yeah. Everybody, when I say that, people are like, what the fuck's wrong with you? Uh That that had, um, what you want to call it? Who's the actor in that? That was on... uh, John Hamm? Curb, John Hamm. I like him. He's good. He was fantastic on Curb Your Enthusiasm, too, for that one episode. Have you guys seen the new Top Gun? He was in that. I have not. I thought it was good. I want to see it really bad. I, like I love the first one. I just haven't gotten around to it yet. I thought it was real good. Aren't they already making a sequel? I don't know. Is that Are right? They? I think I saw that the other day. Pretty successful. Produced Dang. by Scientology. <laughs> <laughs> it's just got like low key Scientology hints dropped all throughout the movie. <laughs> like Captain Elrond's just like. Just like a photo like, bombing every yeah, scene. Like a pic, no, just like a picture of him on a wall in the background. <laughs> Uh, Mavericks living in fucking Clearwater Beach, Florida are now <laughs> like just little things. Whitley kicked off his writing career by writing horror novels. And the first one was the Wolfen in 1978 about two police detectives in New York city who investigate suspicious deaths across the city, which end up being attributed to a race of intelligent beings that descended from wolves called the Wolfen. Then Whitley wrote The Hunger in 1981 about a vampire named Miriam Baylock who takes human lovers and transforms them into vampires. Both of those books did really well and ended up being made into movies. There were some articles from back in the 80s calling him the next Stephen King and uh, stuff. I didn't realize he wrote those. Those are both good movies. Oh, really? I've never seen those yeah, movies. Yeah, both of them was cool. The other one, uh, what's it called? The Hunger? The Hunger. David Bowie was in that movie, I believe. This is probably a wild movie. I think it was. So Whitley's doing well for himself. He's on the path to success. What could go wrong, Ian? What could go wrong? (laughs) Following these two titles that were turned into movies, Whitley had a decline in success. He wrote Black Magic in 1982 and The Night Church in 1983, which were both horror novels, um, and both of them hardly sold. In 1984, Whitley put out War Day, which was about nuclear war. It sold a little better, but nothing like Wolfen or The Hunger. Is it coincidence that the movie War Games also came out right before that? Hmm. Hmm. Just asking the (laughs) questions here. The mid-80s, also the very popular NWA War Games matches. Hmm. (laughs) They're stealing a little bit here from Jim Crockett Promotions, if you ask me. In 1985 and in 86, Whitley put out two more novels, Wolf of Shadows and Nature's End, both on the theme of nuclear war and both considered failures in terms of sales. And then he wrote Communion and everything changed. In 87, Whitley put out his first nonfiction book titled Communion about his real life alien abduction experience in which he underwent hypnosis to figure out if he was going crazy or if the small flashbacks of these abductions were real. Communion ended up being a New York Times bestseller, and it's a must-read 
for anyone that's into the alien abduction phenomena. I think regardless if you think Whitley's full of shit or if you actually believe him, it's one of the first books that was a popular book that got out to the masses that brings up interdimensional beings, the possibility of them, of aliens being time travelers, all this kind of stuff. So whether you think it's bullshit or not, it's still a good book to read. For sure. Because of how mainstream it became. And he's quick to say, like what people call it aliens. He's like, nah, I don't know what they are. He calls them the visitors. Yeah. He's not, he's by no means calling them aliens for sure. Very vague. Much smart. Because if this, if this was a shoot, if this really happened to them, you don't know what they are. You're not going to just label them, right? You're going to say, this is what happened to me. These visitors took me. Yeah, that's smart. Can't say definitively, I guess. Right. You're right. I bet it was an interesting call with his publisher, though. Like, you know those other books I wrote about those kind of things? Well, guess what? It, it actually happened to me. So the new <laughs> book is... Nonfiction, <laughs> isn't that weird? The publisher's like, all right, so like twenty percent, right? Communion went on to be adapted to film, like we were talking about earlier, with Christopher Walken starring as Whitley in nineteen eighty nine. And we already said it; the movie is not good at all. But we'll talk about all that stuff more in depth at the end, and we'll also cover the aftermath of Communion and Whitley working with Art Bell appearing on Coast to Coast all the time and hosting a side project with art called Dreamland. The it, aftermath of communion is that you get herpes from the 47 <laughs> people that took the wine out of that glass before you and they didn't wipe it off. Yeah. Oh, they got that little gimmick towel. They give a little wipe. <laughs> that perfunctory wipe that they do. Whitley's story starts Christmas of 1985 in a cabin that he owned in a remote area of woods in Hudson Valley, New York. I'm really not trying to shit on this story before we even start. But starting in 1982, there was a series of UFO sightings in the Hudson Valley area that Dr. J. Allen Hynek investigated. These sightings made the news, and coincidentally, Communion was published not long after Dr. Hynek's book, Night Siege, which is about those Hudson Valley UFO sightings. Hmm. Interesting. So you're saying much like a gangbang with no condoms, the seed may have been sown. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we'll do a, a whole episode on Night Siege and we'll get to introduce one of the biggest fuckos in the UFO world, Phil and Brogno. No, I'm a big fan of Phil. Oh, you like Phil? I, sure. I'm going with that. <laughs> Him and who's the other dude you hate uh, that I accepted as a Philip class. Yeah. Class. It's all the Phils. Why do you hate Phil? I don't know. It's not like they're Keith. Like, it's Phil. Like, that's a respectable name. Is it, though? It's, uh, Philip is okay, I, I think. Guess. I don't... Phil's okay. It's not Keith or Wayne. <laughs> Wayne. <laughs> Elmer. <laughs> Phil's a believer in UFOs. He's not, like, a debunker or anything. He just went off the rails completely. Mm. He went rogue. He did, because... Uh, Jalen Hynek died during uh, the writing wow, of that spoiler. book. Spoiler. Well, yeah. So then Phil, Phil and Brogno just were like, all right, I'm taking the reins now. And uh, he put in like all kind of crazy shit that Dr. Hynek would not have put his name on if he was alive. So you feel Dr. Hynek would not have approved? He would not have approved. Of this aberration of his work. No. All right. He would not have approved of Whitley Strieber either. Was Pretty fit- confident in that. Okay. 
Phil um, um, Brogno, Bro- mm-hmm. Brogno, was he like an understudy to Heineck for a while? Like, like yeah, they were just weird. like peers. I don't really understand why Heineck put up with him. Like, why, yeah, what gave Phil the right to just be like, I'm the heir now to this? They were doing it together. And Heineck had like kept him in line for like all that crazy fifth dimensional shit and whatever. See, this is what happens. People probably think like, why do you two guys put up with me? Like, how is Mike even here? Then if something were to happen to you two and I take over, oh man, Necronama <laughs> Wrestling is here. Oh boy. And I have a spinoff. We just dissect Britney Spears outfits from every VMA for the last 25 years. <laughs> People are like, Dave and Ian would not have put their name on this. <laughs> well, they ain't here to stop me. <laughs> You've sullied the Necronama pod name, my friend. <laughs> Whitley's also done a ton of uh, of different books and interviews. You know, his story is massive. But for this, we're just going to focus on the start, which is communion. So it's Christmas 1985. Whitley's at his cabin with his wife, Anne, and his son, who, from the sounds of it, is like somewhere between the ages of maybe like seven and ten years old at the time. On December 26th, the Streber family was having, by all accounts, a great day. And for dinner, they ate leftover goose and cranberry sauce. Goose, nice. Never had goose. Delicious. I've only had goose liver. I don't think I've ever actually. Also had goose. delicious. It's very good. I don't know about that. I don't like. You not liver. had it? I don't like liver. You even uh, had it at Just Brew Christie's house. She always has it out. Yeah, I had. It's like that. a spread. You could put it like on a cracker. Yeah, I didn't love it. It's just really salty. That's all. It, I mean, it's not. Mm. It tastes good. It's salty and it's just a texture. Okay. <laughs> So they hung out for a bit after eating, and then at 8.30 p.m., it was time for them to go to bed. They go to bed earlier than I do. Goddamn. <laughs> That's saying something. They're like, Dave, you're a night owl. You're up till 9.15. <laughs> Before laying down, Whitley set the home security system and walked around making sure all the doors were locked, even looking into closets to make sure no one was in the house. Whitley had been pretty obsessive over this since the fall of 1985, And he had gone out to buy a gun for protection as well, which he says is not like him at all. Hmm. Seems like he's setting the stage here. Is any of this performative for the benefit of his family so they buy into what he's doing? Let's find out. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, This next part was uncovered through hypnosis that we're going to get into in a bit. At some point in the middle of the night, Whitley was woken up by a sound of air whooshing. That's what he says. It was air whooshing around. It was fart gas from all that <laughs> greasy goose they had for dinner. There you go. Yeah. Uh, His wife was giving him an old Dutch oven. <laughs> he said it was like there was a bunch of people moving around the room really fast. Whitley sat up in bed and looked over to the home security system panel because the main control panel was in his bedroom. Nothing had been triggered, so he figured that he just had a bad dream or something, and Whitley laid back down. As he was getting comfortable to fall back to sleep, that's when Whitley noticed the bedroom door start to move. So he sat up again and he saw a small figure about three and a half feet tall, kind of bending around the door so it could look into the room. Whitley said that this being had a rounded hat on with a brim that looked like it came out about four inches. As he was sitting there squinting at this being in the dark, it rushed towards him. Whitley said that all he saw was its face as it rushed towards him. The being had very large black eyes, thin lipless mouth, your classic gray, and then boom, everything went black. That's scary. So it kind of feels like when they 
speed up film double time to give you that scary effect when something charges at you. Yeah. Like that. Yeah, the super fast. Yeah. This sounds like one of those like good calls you would get on like an art bell, like ghost to ghost or like an open lines. It just reminds me of something like that, like a story somebody would tell. Like we talked about like those people that see the things like wasn't it one of the first art bells we did? Like somebody felt like the like a like a a skeleton bone like poking their butt and we're like, oh, it's Uncle Cletus <laughs> or whatever. Well, he was staying with his yeah, uncle, uncle, right? It was yeah, Uncle Fucker. Right. Because, <laughs> uncle, because fucker. The, the next, uncle Fucker. <laughs> the next morning, his cousin was like, yeah, that happened to me too. <laughs> so I think you're getting molested by your <laughs> uncle. Yeah. But then we did one where like somebody woke up in the middle of the night and this is when we talk about you should have your closet doors shut at all times. They saw like black eyes staring out of their closet. I don't know. This just kind of reminds me of that. I love those creepy Art Bell stories like that. Those are I great. I do too. They're Black Shug. Shook? Shug? Is that the dog? Shuck. Like that Black Shuck. Black Shuck. Yeah, that dog-like yeah. thing? Yeah. yeah. I'm telling you, I've been listening to a bunch of uh, Art Bell recently, and I've been taking timestamps for our, I think it'll be Patreon this year, the Halloween episode we're going to do for Art Bell. Nice. Always a fun show. It's not just going to be ghost to ghost, though, because I feel like we've listened to all those. It's going to be all open lines. I got a good one involving communion crackers and LSD. I think I told <laughs> yeah. you about that one. Day. I don't know if you That's remember. Stuff. Yeah. If you told me last week, I probably do not remember. I told I you when very we were much intoxicated. I told you when we were at that concert and you were feeling pretty, 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 pretty good. The next thing Whitley knew, he felt that his body was in motion. He could feel that he was naked and he was out of the bedroom, but he described it as floating through space. Always naked. Guys are always, <laughs> always involves no clothes out these aliens. Well, it's easier for them to do what they got to do, right? Not the aliens, the um, was it visitors. visitors. The next memory he had was being in a small ditch in the woods. Willie was sitting there frozen in this ditch and next to him was one of these beings sitting with its arms around its legs, like holding its knees up to its chest. In communion, Whitley refers to this being as being female. It looked exactly like all the other greys, but something about the energy this one was putting off made him feel like it was female. This being was trying to explain something to Whitley telepathically, but he didn't know what. Then the next thing he knew, Whitley was above the treetops, like he was just sucked up into the sky. Then all of a sudden, he was in a round-shaped room with a bunch of these little beings, as well as the female one from the woods. Interesting detail, Whitley says that the room was a mess, like there was shit everywhere, clothes, stuff like that. Usually you hear about these abduction scenarios, and it's like, yeah. everything's white, completely clean, Pristine. sterile. Yeah. He must have got like the the, the the tier two alien group that they send them backwood hillbilly planets. It's like an episode of like, Hoarders. They're UFOs, just like a hoopty thing. It's just like barely running. It's got a loud ass muffler. One of the back like taillights doesn't work. No blinkers. It, it almost sounds like a, like a frat, like just like an after party type place. The way he describes it, it's all fucked up and smells bad. And Maybe that's what it was. It was like the young visitors and like, you know, they treated it as like, like a bachelor pad, party pad. Bong and beers and stuff. Yeah. Maybe. That's interesting. I feel like the, the ditch was kind of like a, like a loading zone before he, like a halfway point. Kind of they bounced him out of the house, but like into a ditch and like yeah. waiting to go up to the ship. But then what do you weird. make of like the female 
visitor with him. Like, like that was like the comfort him or I don't know. She facilitated getting him out of the house and she just takes him to like alien purgatory. And then he has to wait to get bounced up to the ship. It's different. I'm not sure I've ever heard anything like that. And he, he was frozen the way he describes it. Like he's in that paralyzed state and he couldn't like fully turn his head, but he could like see her out of, hmm. you know, enough of her to realize that she was one of those beings. It's a really creepy visual. Yeah. He's frozen in the middle of the woods She's sitting there with her knees up, just sitting there trying to tell him something. He mm. can't figure out what she's saying. Did they represent that in the movie? I don't recall that. No. So it's been a long time, but I remember him shooting at his wife with a shotgun, I believe, in the supercut I watched earlier today. <laughs> there, there's that one part too that had like really weird like foreplay talk when they were in bed. Did your supercut have that? <laughs> I didn't see that. Where he's like asking her to say something dirty and she's like She's like, oh, I don't know, Whitley. I don't know what to say. And he's like, say erection. <laughs> She's like, no, I won't say that. I'm like, who? Why are you asking her to say that? Say penis. <laughs> Pretty much. Tell me, you want me to put my penis in your vagina? <laughs> I want you to do a missionary on me. <laughs> then I want you to pull out, come on my tits. <laughs> That's how I envision that movie going. Maybe she'll watch it and let us know. See Christopher Walken do a tit spray, a whitewash <laughs> on someone's tits. I would watch that. A hundred percent. I would watch that. <laughs> do this Saturday Night Live bit. I need more of that cowbell. I need more of that erection. <laughs> I always forget he's in that. He's the producer, right? And Will Ferrell's the cowbell yeah. guy. Yeah. I got a fever and the only cure is more of that cowbell. I, I can't almost, do that Christopher Walken voice. It's hard. He's a very weird voice. <laughs> it's funny. I almost brought that up uh, this past week because we were we did our movie show for the ten dollar patrons on uh, X, and it's got that Blue Oyster Cult yeah. song in it. Don't fear the reaper. Yeah, he's the janitor in Joe Dirt. Remember that? It's fantastic in it, mm -hmm. but it's like uh, he was like a mob guy, right? And he was like a <laughs> yeah. witness protection. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they shoot him up, but then he's not really dead on the stretcher. <laughs> it's super weird. So the female being telepathically tells Whitley that they're going to insert a needle into his head and they pull out this really thin needle that he said was glistening in the light. Like it was extra shiny. Whitley started screaming and pleading with this being to not let that happen to which she says, quote, how can I stop you from screaming? Instinctively Whitley says, you can let me smell you. It's like this weird caveman type thing. But Whitley talks about um, being reduced to a primitive state because of the intense fear. In communion, he says, quote, I became entirely given over to extreme dread. The fear was so powerful that it seemed to make my personality completely evaporate. Whitley ceased to exist. What was left was a body in a state of raw fear so great that it swept about me like a thick, suffocating curtain, turning paralysis into a condition that seemed close to death. I died and a wild animal appeared in my place. So this being let him smell her. And Whitley said that she smelled like cinnamon mixed with cardboard, but she had an organic smell as well, like her body put off heat and slight perspiration, which he said had a cheesy smell. Mm, yummy. Oh, sounds great. <laughs> cardboard and cheese. With a little bit of cinnamon on there. Limburger alien smell. <sighs> <laughs> What's even worse is cinnamon doesn't help because nowadays when I think of cinnamon, I just think of fireball and it's so fucking gross. Yeah. 
Ugh. I recently was given a shot of fireball and I did not know what it was. And I just <laughs> took it. Was it good? No. Is it ever? No. Why do people drink that? <laughs> awful. I mean, I had had it previously and that's when I discovered I didn't like it. I also saw Ian one time take down eight shots of fireball in a yeah. matter of about 30 <laughs> seconds. <laughs> not good. Not at all. While he smelled this being's hand, the needle was inserted behind Whitley's ear into his head. Then one of the beings made a small incision on his index finger, and then the infamous anal probe happened. (laughs) We'll talk about it more at the end, but this is where that whole idea and that whole running joke started. It's with (laughs) Whitley Strieber. Um... He said that it was a gray mechanical device, like a snake. And when it went inside him, he said that it felt alive and that it was searching around. Oh, man. It's like a super colonoscopy. Can you imagine feeling it up inside of you like that? Mm. The way he describes it is it's not like it just went in, like it was up in his body, like searching around. around. Mm-hmm. It's like that thing they put in uh, in Neo in the Matrix. The tracking yeah. bar. Yeah, that's right. Crawling around. <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> so that stuff was found in hypnosis. Um, and there were more in-depth details that we'll get into in a bit. But on the morning of December 27th, all Whitley knew was that he had a weird feeling that someone was in his room the night before. This intense memory that didn't feel like a dream of a barn owl staring at him through one of the windows and he was having some bad rectal pain. Sounds more like a date with Mike than an alien abduction. <laughs> I don't know the owl, but everything else sounds about right. You know how you solve the owl problem? Close your blinds. Well, you, won't <laughs> see, you won't see that owl outside. Yeah, that is step one. <laughs> so what What did he actually remember? I forget if we're going to get detailed into this. Like, I'd like to know what he remembered from actually just remembering Versus all the stuff he learned in hypnosis. Is most of it in hypnosis? Most of it is in hypnosis. He just had odd feelings that prompted him that something wasn't right, which caused him to, to further search for answers. Right. Okay. Mainly this whole thing, this memory of an owl that was like, he was really afraid of it, but mm. and it didn't feel like a dream. And then, you know, the rectal pain thing he woke, according to Whitley, he woke mm. up with that, like, whoa, what's going on here? What was that other thing that was explained away with a barn owl? Um, that cryptid, like that mechanical looking alien cryptid in the woods? Oh, um, what was that thing? Fuck. But that's what they said. It looked like a, could have been someone mistaking a large barn owl. That wasn't no, part Flatwoods. of the mo- Flatwoods monster. Uh, that's right. I thought they even talked about a large bird of some sort for Mothman. Yeah, right? there was a crane and mm. then there was an owl that got brought up. Yeah. But And I guess if you look at your stereotypical gray alien and you put a little just some tweaking to it you can make it look like an owl i think that that it resembles each other sure at this point whitley went into kind of a spiral physically he had a fever his body felt exhausted he had a small cut on his index finger that was infected and one of the things is whitley went to the doctor at this point for the rectal pain and the doctor told him that he had been raped. Wow. There's no proof of that doctor's visit, but if you're taking Whitley's Mm. account, that's what he was told right by a doctor. 
Well, that would certainly line up. If that actually happened to him, then he most definitely would show signs of rape trauma. Yeah. Probably even way further past that kind of damage, you know, internal kind of damage way up. Well, hell yeah. There's a snake going through your body. Are we keeping you up over there? (laughs) (laughs) I'm getting real tired over here. He's like, communion. (laughs) Mentally, he couldn't get the image of that owl out of his head. And he was very depressed feeling. Moved to January 3rd. Whitley's having this pain in the back of his head, right behind his right ear. Also at this time, Whitley started reading a bit about UFOs. Now, according to Whitley, his brother had given him a book for Christmas that was titled Science and UFOs. Whitley said he didn't believe in this stuff, threw it to the side, like, why the fuck did you give this to me for a gift? But now with this going on, he pulled it out to start reading. In the back of this book, there was an abduction story that made Whitley kind of have a panic attack. Like some of those details we just covered flooded into his mind. So like the being rushing at him, just like these blurry flashbacks. Whitley said that he had read about a UFO story locally that involved our old friend and UFO researcher, Bud Hopkins. The steps he's taking here are very coincidental and conveniently all line up to get him to to Bud Hopkins. (laughs) Yeah, it would seem so. Oh, my brother gave me a UFO book. Something doesn't feel right. Let me go read this. Oh, Abducted. Oh! (laughs) (laughs) To recap from the Copley Woods episode, Bud Hopkins was a really smart guy, and he was a heavy hitter in the art world. He graduated from Oberlin College in Ohio with a degree in art history, and then from there he moved to New York City to continue his studies at Columbia University. He received multiple prestigious grants for his paintings and ended up being elected to the National Academy of Design. And who else is a heavy hitter in the art industry? Who's that? Mike Namapod. Oh, yeah. Numerous true. people have had his artwork tattooed on their bodies. How about that? That, that is a true statement. <laughs> That's a shoot. <laughs> that is a shoot true statement. I have not been invited to any art shows yet, but I'm thinking about just having my own like art exhibit. You should. Just put up some of my things and we'll have wine and cheese and... I would go to that. You guys can come and, and hug me and I'll be like, <laughs> what's in your pocket? And you're like, it's a chunky. <laughs> it's a chunky. <laughs> it's a deep cut. Um, yeah. Maybe I'll do my own art show. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll use the, the studio. I'll use the studio here. Oh yeah. We'll take definitely. down all this stuff in here. This nonsense in here. <laughs> and I'll put up my stuff. Yeah. Do you have enough? pieces to display to fill up sort of a gallery hall exhibit type thing i think i got three okay so I'll <laughs> do a little work i'll get to six and i'll sell them for like you know a grand a piece okay yeah. i gotta look and see how many actual original of those drawings that i have i think i saved a few mm. maybe we can give them out as prizes or something i think we should i gotta find them though i'm not sure if i have them all we'll see so Bud saw a UFO in 1964, and he got really into it, started reading a bunch of books, ended up joining MUFON, and then he got focused solely on the abduction aspect of the UFO phenomena and worked close with hypnotist Dr. Aphrodite Clamar. Whitley claims that he didn't know who Bud Hopkins was, other than this UFO book he read and local stories that he saw. 
but it's worth pointing out that there's a solid chance that they knew each other from the New York art scene because they only lived 10 minutes from each other. Mm. And Whitley was known to go to those art, you know, gallery things where people would drink wine and eat cheese and stuff. As we will do at mine. Wine and cheese. <laughs> to be fair, millions of people live within 10 minutes of each other in Manhattan, so it's not, you know, that small of a population, but... Where did we come down on Bud Hopkins' authenticity? Were we buying what he was selling when we did that story? I think what we came down, or at least what I believe about Bud, is that he he's a true believer to the point of it being problematic sometimes. Uh, okay. I don't think he intentionally tries to trick anyone or, or put out a false story, mm-hmm. but I think he's easily tricked. Quick to believe by, anything. Yeah. Like he'll go all in on something. I will keep that in mind as we proceed here. Mm-hmm. Whitley says that he looked up Bud in the phone book, gave him a call, and told him about this weird owl and the flashbacks he had. Bud told him to come right over, and the two of them sat down and started talking about what was going on with Whitley. Afterwards, Bud asked Whitley if there were any other weird things in his life that happened. It might not be anything huge, just anything weird. Whitley says... Uh, matter of fact, there was this time in October of 1985 when the Streber family, along with their friends, Jock and Annie, went to the cabin in Hudson Valley and they all encountered a bright light in the middle of the night while they were sleeping. Bud told Whitley to get a hold of his friends, write down what they had to say about October 4th, and then get back to him. Was Whitley at least semi-famous in the literary world back then after you know the first couple of books that sold well? Like... Would Bud have known who he was and maybe sensed an opportunity here when Willie called him? Hey, how long did Hank Moody live off of his one fucking novel? Seven God seasons. Ha- God hates us all. <laughs> they turned into that shitty rom-com. He wrote very little for a while after that and was still pretty prevalent. That's true. I'm just saying if Bud was, you know, in the upper crust of the art scene in New York, I'm sure he knew who Willie was. They had to have known each other. I think that's probably true. Well, like Ian said, though, Bud was just gullible with this stuff. So maybe he heard this story, figured, oh, this guy's a well-known author. He's credible and ran with it. It's my ticket. Yeah. Bud has, you know, when he was alive, he worked with Stan Friedman, Jalen Hyatt. Like he worked with credible people. He was no slouch himself. Yeah. He just didn't vet things as much Mm. as other guys did, I guess. Yeah. True believers have that uh, weakness. Yeah. It happens a lot in the UFO world. Mm. <laughs> <mentioned> it does. <laughs> now a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp. You ever have one of those days where you couldn't wait to get to sleep at night, but as soon as you put your head down, all your problems come racing back into your mind, keeping you up, tossing and turning all night? Yeah, it happens to a lot of us. It seems we all tend to focus more on our problems instead of focusing on solutions to these problems. How do you think your life could change if you had a different mindset on problems, focusing more on solving them as opposed to stressing about them day in and day out? It can be tough to train your brain to stay in problem-solving mode, especially when faced with challenges in life. But when you can learn to find your own solutions, there's no better feeling. Working with a therapist can help you become a better problem solver, making it easier to accomplish your goals no matter how big or small they are. Your mental health should be taken seriously. Nothing can cripple your day or stunt your motivation more than feeling depressed, anxious, or sad. We all have a lot of problems to deal with in our daily lives, be it the struggles of work, raising a family, or even paying bills. 
Focusing more on problem solving can help improve your mental health. And for that, BetterHelp is here for us. If you've been on the fence about trying therapy, BetterHelp is a great option for you. It's convenient, affordable, and entirely online. After filling out just a brief survey, you'll get matched with a therapist, and you'll be able to switch therapists anytime you want. When you want to be a better problem solver, therapy can get you there. Visit BetterHelp.com Necro today to get 10% off your first month. Again, that's BetterHelp.com Necro. And thanks to BetterHelp for sponsoring today's podcast. On the evening of October 4th, 1985, the Strieber family, along with their friends, Jock and Annie, went out to dinner, had some wine, and then went to bed. Jock and Annie took the guest room on the first floor next to Whitley's son's room, and Whitley and his wife, Anne, went to their room upstairs. Whitley says that he remembered a bright light shining on the ceiling in the hallway outside his bedroom. He thought the roof might be on fire, but that was an irrational thought, and then just went back to bed. Not long after, Whitley was woken back up by the sound of a firecracker and his wife and son yelling. They too thought the roof was on fire, and pretty much as soon as Whitley woke up, he ran to comfort his son, and the light went away. Whitley asked his wife, Anne, if she remembered anything from that night. She remembered hearing a bang, but no glowing light. All she remembered about a light was Whitley telling her that there wasn't a fire. Whitley asked his son if he remembered anything, and his son said that he remembered a glowing light, and there were a bunch of people in the cabin telling him that it was okay but he thought he just had a bad dream. Whitley pushed a little further with his son and asked him if he had any other dreams like that, and his son told him that he had one other dream with those people. He had a dream where, quote, a bunch of little doctors took him onto the porch of the cabin and told him that everything was going to be all right. I picture that jackass scene with Wee Man in the bar, and all, those, <laughs> all the little people come in and have a... <laughs> That is one of the funniest scenes in so all great. of the Jackass franchise. It absolutely is. The, the patrons are sitting there like, what the fuck is happening? And then the little uh, uh, paramedics run in and pick him out. Whitley called his friend Jock and asked him if he remembered anything from October 4th. And Jock said that he woke up from a light shining, almost like it was morning time. But then Whitley came in the room and said, don't worry about it. The light will go away. Then the light went out and Jock went back to bed. Jock didn't think much of it because he thought it was probably a dream. And kind of the same thing for Jock's wife, Annie. She said that she woke up to a bang and then heard what she called, quote, little feet scamper across the upstairs floor. She thought to herself that it must be Whitley's cats, but Whitley didn't bring his cats to the cabin on this trip. So nothing happened, essentially. Well, sounds like everyone was just baked. <laughs> Did acid the night before or something. Shortly after this trip is when Whitley's mental health started to decline. We said that after the December 26th incident that he was depressed and things like that. And he was completely down and out. His wife, Anne, was threatening to leave him because of his behavior starting in October through December. After October 4th, Whitley decided that they needed to move out of New York City for good. He wanted to move to Texas, so they pulled their son out of school and bought a house in Austin. Once they got down there and settled, Whitley decided that he felt even worse in Texas, so they went back to New York City. So once the December 26th incident happened, Ann told Whitley, that's it, you need to go get help. I'd be fucking pissed too. 
uproot and move to Texas and he gets there and you're like, nah, we're gonna move back. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Moving sucks. Back to back like it's that. It's exhausting, let alone oh, half across the country. Yeah. And to Texas? No less. Too hot. Yeah. Through Bud Hopkins, Whitley was put in contact with psychiatrist Dr. Donald Klein from the New York State Psychiatric Institute to undergo hypnosis regression therapy. Dr. Klein is a very respected doctor. There would be no issues here, but just like the Copley Woods abduction case, Bud Hopkins was sitting in on the hypnosis sessions and allowed to ask questions at the end. Just like in the Copley Woods story, this really, really taints the credibility of of mm. this for me. Are you sure you don't remember an alien sticking a metal <laughs> rod up your sphincter? I don't understand why Bud has to be involved in it. Go sit outside, Bud. <laughs> hey, Bud, what's your problem? There was a ton of that with the um, uh, Sirhan Sirhan uh, hypnosis they did when he was in jail for after he shot Bobby Kennedy. And like there's tapes of the hypnosis sessions and they're just straight leading him the mm. entire time. To the point then where he's like now acting out, pulling out a gun and shooting it. And they're like, well, you're shooting Bobby now. You're shooting him. Where's your gun, Sirhan? Where's your gun? Show us where you're gun. You know, and it's just like, what's the point? This is so fucking stupid. Yeah. And some people are more susceptible to that than others, right? To like the leading questions. Yeah. The power of persuasion like that when you're hypnotized. I would think. Mm -hmm. Not Mike, of course, because he don't believe it, but. Yeah, but, that, it, but it, there's there's a whole argument with that, that Sirhan was just acting the whole time and knew what he was doing, but trying mm. to play the ins insanity or, you know, that he was just trying to to do what they said so that it can be over quicker. Like, there's all kinds of different theories with it. But, yeah, they that they, they there was some of that that like, oh, this, he's just faking it. But then if you if you're believing in what's happening, they're clearly just leading him. As I believe they had said that he was he was the easiest to, like, put under into hypnosis that they had like ever mm. seen before. So he's probably just faking it either that, or if it is real, if it's a shoot and now you're, you could probably easily then lead him to do whatever you want him to do. Yeah, that's true. You know, the JFK assassination gets all the conspiracy stuff, but there's some weird shit that happened with that one too. Yeah. I think we might get as to far it. as conspiratorial potential. There's a lot of stuff. Yeah. Of MK ultra going on there. That's little it. MK yeah. ultra. Yeah. All that. That'll be a good one to talk about. Um, just because we can touch on all that kind of different stuff. Mm. And then just the LAPD's complete debauched investigation and just kind of throwing stuff away and not keeping evidence and bullet more like 10 bullet holes being found, but the gun on Sirhan only had can hold eight. Yeah, that right there. <laughs> Meanwhile, the security officer, uh, Cesar, something Cesar, had the same kind of gun, but swears he never fired it and then sold that gun within a month of being, yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, uh, of the assassination. A lot of good stuff. Looking forward to it, Mike. Uh, when can we expect that from you? Uh, we'll see. Okay. I don't want to throw enough, any dates down and tie myself down to anything. <laughs> I work at my own pace. Spotify ever buys us, we're fucked. <laughs> I don't do well with deadlines. I'm an artist, Dave. You can't I know rush you it. are. You can't, you rush, can't it. rush art. As can be witnessed via viewing your paintings or your drawings. Yeah, I'm going to have to those work Those took on forever. Stuff. There's I'm no gonna... rushing those. <laughs> right. 
I just need to be inspired because usually it's I go home from here shit faced. I sit down <laughs> in my office and I'm like, do do do. Forty five <laughs> seconds later, there's a drawing. But I have to be inspired. Hmm. Can't just go home and be like, I'm going to do a drawing today. It's not how it works. All right, you heard it, folks. Inspire it would come out, Mike. It would come out even worse <laughs> if I was not inspired. <laughs> So Whitley had his first hypnosis session on March 1st, 1986, and that's where they went over the stuff from October 4th and December 26th. So the general stuff we've talked about um, is what came out through hypnosis, but there were some more details, like the finer tuning of things, about the appearance of the gray that Whitley said that he felt was female. He said that she had leathery skin. He felt like she was elderly and she was wearing a tan jumpsuit. He also pulled out another detail when she was trying to calm him down when he was screaming about the needle going into his head. Whitley said that you don't have the right to do this, to which she said that we do have the right. And that points back to our Valiant Thor episode on Patreon with those discussions of the Greys actually sitting down with President Truman and signing a treaty to that they can abduct so many people a year. Hey. If he signed it, what are you going to do? <laughs> yeah. It's legally binding, right? <laughs> I feel like we're getting a composite story here, and he's trying to check the boxes on. It very much seems like how many other stories yeah. have we already referenced, yeah. and we're not even done with this one right. yet? Uh, well, hmm. we're going to reference another one because the biggest thing that was pulled out in uh, in hypnosis. Well, was I'm, these... I'm the biggest thing that gets pulled out <laughs> most nights. From lives all across the country, but <laughs> I digress. Images of the world being destroyed. Ah. Like we're ruining, like uh, we're going to destroy the earth. They're here to warn us. Yes. What is that us. from? Uh, well, the aerial school incident, those kids all left that like, oh, we're destroying the earth. And that's a common theme in a lot of abductions. What year was that? Was that before this? 70s? That was eight or nineties, actually. Oh, like, yeah. all right, Whoa. way off. So that was off. Maybe but they stole the, from this one. No. <laughs> There's that one's credible. <laughs> I thought it was all, too. The, looking back, yeah, it's a common theme with almost every abduction that we're destroying the planet. Well, we are. You're not yeah. wrong. <laughs> yeah, I mean, how many it's accurate. times do we need to be told? <laughs> the aliens are like, how many of you do we need to anally probe before you fucking get it through your skulls? <laughs> You're ruining this planet. How many rectums do we need to wreck to get through to you people? <laughs> Aliens, if you're listening, I get it. Don't wreck my rectum. <laughs> As Whitley was undergoing hypnosis, all of a sudden he regressed back to when he was 12 years old in 1957. Here's an issue that I do have with this. Um, numerous times in the transcripts, he like comes out of hypnosis because he's so scared or goes back further because I don't know why. I've never heard that before. Hmm. Um, He's self-directing his own. Yeah, because like Barney Hill was screaming yeah, and crying you, and freaking out, yeah. and he didn't wake up. How yeah. can you just come out of it and you're like, okay, now I'm going to go back in now? Yeah, it's, it's very strange. Hmm. Well, uh, the Dr. Klein puts him back under. But then doesn't it def like defeat the whole purpose of hypnosis if you can just like wake yourself up out of it? If yeah. it gets too intense. Betty and Barney Hill, they went under it. It was by a really credible doctor. He put the key, he put it in their heads that they wouldn't remember anything after it was over. Barney they, Hill they woke didn't. up and didn't know that he yeah. was screaming and crying like that. This is just 
Willie pops out of it like, oh, I'm so scared. Mm. All right, let's go back and figure out more. Suspicious. Unusual. I mean, if you're going to do a hypnosis, <clears throat> at least make me believe it's real, right? <laughs> like, don't give me this shit. Give me one where it's like, okay, you, you, you're making some points. <laughs> I've been to, like, hypnosis comedy shows. It seemed pretty believable to me. We should go to one of those and get him hypnotized. I, it was I fun. saw fucking Mick Foley throw off a hell in a cell. It looked believable to me, too. And guess what? It happened. That doesn't mean it was real life, though. Like, it was still part of the show. You have to be open to it. He wouldn't. It wouldn't work on him. I would crack I, I, up if it did. I would 100% not be open to it. So I don't know. Like, well, it wouldn't work. I, yeah, I, I wouldn't. And I'd just be like, see, I proved my point. And I'd mic drop and walk off and kick the guy in the dick. <laughs> So Whitley went back to when he was 12 years old in 1957. In this memory, Whitley's with his father and sister on a train coming from Madison, Wisconsin. Whitley remembers seeing his sister asleep below him and one of the grays sitting in a chair in front of them. Then Whitley sees his father standing there frozen. However, his father was screaming. And then there's like this whole stretch that comes out in hypnosis where things are a little bit clearer for Whitley back in the 60s. There's like a period of time where he just like went off the map for 48 hours. Nobody knew where he was. Hmm. Um, he just randomly went to London and ran- some fish and chips. I, I can understand that. Yeah, there's a lot. The, a lot of these claims of his that he's just like there's solid, like almost years that he can't remember. Where's the best fish and chips to get now <laughs> in town? Now you got me thinking about fish and chips. I thought he was going to ask me a question the way he was looking at me. Where do you get fish and chips now? Like, where do you go? The last Arthur Treacher's in America, friend. Cuyahoga Falls, Ohio. So is this corroborated by anyone that he was missing like this? Or is this just what he's telling us later? This is what's being told to us. Like his parents didn't send out a search party or anything like that. No. Well, he would have been an adult at that time, but still, no. Okay. Later on in communion, Whitley tells a story from 1982 where his wife, Anne woke up in the middle of the night screaming that a three foot tall translucent being poked her in the stomach and then ran away. Wait a minute. So he learned this in hypnosis. So uh, the- no, no, no. He, he just t- brings this up. This is something that he points to oh. in communion. Okay. So yeah. The- going the, we talked about the hypnosis pretty much. Okay. So this is already stuff that just happened that he did remember. Yeah. Has Anne ever spoken about this and then corroborated? Of course not. <laughs> no. Well, we'll talk about Anne at the end. Okay. But uh, yeah, we'll talk about Anne at the end. So this translucent being went running away and they, they chalked it up to being a dream. But the next night while sleeping, Whitley was hit on the arm and saw this pale being running down the hall. He was sleeping like he was woken up by this again. So he joked with Anne that her nightmare had rubbed off on him and and he just went back to sleep. (laughs) (laughs) Then a few nights later, their son said the same thing. He felt a poke and woke up to this little guy running out of his room. This all culminated the following week when they had a babysitter come over to watch their son. While while Whitley and Anne went out to a wedding when they called to check and see how things were going, the babysitter said that everything was fine until she saw a little kid wearing a sheet like a ghost run down the hall, even though Whitley's son was standing next to her. Really? It's creepy, though. It is creepy. 
if you take that at face value, it's creepy. I get my wife a poke and woke sometimes. <laughs> You're up now. <laughs> the old Pokemon <laughs> classic. The last occurrence that's brought up in communion was on March 15th, 1986. In this one, Whitley remembers it perfectly. Like there was no need for hypnosis in this. Willie said that he was woken up by a hard jab in his arm. And when he opened his eyes, he saw multiple beings standing in his room. Whitley said that these weren't like the grays. They were stocky with a solid build and deep set glittering eyes. As far as what they were wearing, Whitley said that they were wearing blue coveralls. Over top the coveralls, Whitley said it looked like they were wearing a suit made out of cardboard, like they were trying to fit in and did a really shitty job of it. That's where that cardboard smell comes from. Organic, yeah. right? Oh. Cardboard and cheese. <laughs> In the movie Communion, Christopher Walken says that they looked like thick kids. Oh, husky lads. <laughs> this was the prequel to, what is that, Fat Camp movie with Ben Stiller? Oh, Do you guys remember fuck. that one? Yeah. I think it was called Fat Camp or something like Heavyweights? that. Heavyweights. Heavyweights, that's it. Have it's you seen that movie. one, Dave? I don't think so. Ben Stiller is like this dickhead <laughs> who, who runs a, a camp that they just send overweight kids to, and he's just a piece of shit. <laughs> Isn't uh, Keenan... Uh, from Keenan Kellen. It was like when he was real young, right? Yeah. Like it's like hmm. an early 90s movie. Mm-hmm. I don't remember this. It's so goofy, but it's funny. Uh, yeah. Anne and uh, Whitley's son also claim to have seen these beings, or Whitley claims that they've claimed uh, in his book okay. that they saw these beings. Those are two different things. Okay. Good yeah. To know. <laughs> so the movie Communion came out in 1989. It had a budget of $5 million and made $1.9 million. Yikes. My math is not that great these days, but that doesn't sound good. We, we already talked about the Rotten Tomatoes score and stuff. Like, it is not a good movie. $4 million of that budget was just to pay Christopher Walken, <laughs> just so they could Probably. say he's in the movie. Right. Whitley said that he wrote a script for the movie, which was pretty much thrown out, and he felt that Christopher Walken was intentionally mocking him mm. in the movie. I can imagine how painful this must be for you. <laughs> Things like that whole say erection, dirty talk thing, like Whitley felt like they were mocking him. So the aftermath of communion was not great for Whitley. No, no, he um, he went on a lot of talk shows like Larry King. The Larry King one is brutal to watch. Oh, he is that. just really? Larry King just tears him apart. It seemed Larry like King he was a tough interview, right? Yeah, it seems like he wasn't prepped for like mm. any of this stuff. The anal probe thing we said before came from from Whitley South Park. South Park's pilot with the anal probe <laughs> was based on Whitley. Why is it that everything today has involved things either going in or coming out of my ass? <laughs> I don't think I've seen this one. <laughs> yeah, but all the way back in '97, <sighs> early vintage South Park. It's their pilot, the first ever. Oh, it is. Mm-hmm. All right, I'm gonna. Yeah. I, I'm sure I've seen it then, because back then I watched all that shit. Yeah. Did they do more than one show like that? Is it the one where Cartman's on the ground and like the big satellite just comes out of his ass? And I don't know if it's that one or if it's a later one. I know they've brought it up multiple times. They had the two dudes on the mothership like getting fucking hammered by these. <laughs> just <laughs> it is wild. So yeah, Whitley became the laughing stock mm. of everything. Um, of the alien world, I guess, or not even the alien world, just 
in general. In general, yeah. The United States world. And we said that he did stuff with Art Bell for years, was on Coast to Coast all the time. And then those two did Dreamland together. Yeah, I remember listening to that. Um, What was, so explain to me what Dreamland was. It was like this once a week deal that they did usually on Saturdays, right? Sunday. Sundays. Yeah. Um, Like an overnight, like Sunday into Monday mm, thing? I think so. And uh, Whitley still does it, but he does it in podcast form. Like you can look up Dreamland and... And it was, was it more like UFO alien focused or was it? Yeah, it was all paranormal, paranormal. focused. But man, even Art laughed at Whitley <laughs> and those two were like really good friends. I found a clip of Whitley explaining why he's so angry or he sounds very angry in the clip. Like he's for real uh, explaining the anal probe thing. And Art's like, well, yeah, but Cartman's still pretty funny. <laughs> Before we go into that, let me go back to where we were. Because the next thing that happened was extraordinary and terrible. I have subsequently learned a lot about what it was that happened. What I initially felt was that I was, something was pushed into me anally, which has become a famous joke. Uh, the joke about the rectal probe that the, the, uh, South Park, I believe, not either South. I, one of the, so that's where it came from. That's where it came from. Yeah, exactly. However, I would like to mention to the listeners, just in passing, those who are snickering happily at this story, that it took me more than twenty years to even tell my wife what the doctor had told me about a five or six days afterwards when I had gone to him. He told me, "You have, Whitley," he said, "you have been raped." Those were his words. And I was not able to say that. As a result of which, I became a national laughingstock for having I completely raped. understand, Whitley. I completely understand. Really, I do. And I, I've seen all the jokes about it. I've seen what Cartman said. <laughs> all the rest of it. But that's what it is, is rape. I was like... <laughs> <laughs> When was that? What year was that from? Roughly, <sighs> was that that wasn't during Dreamland? No, like, uh, no, yeah. He was on a phone call. Yeah, that was from ni- like the mid nineties. And Whitley was on there like right off the bat, ninety three when it first started. You know, yeah. And he was a regular for all that time. But yeah, even Art couldn't help but laugh <laughs> about South Park. I don't know. I'm conflicted laughing here because you know when he he frames it as rape, but. I, I suspect the whole thing is made up. So is that like for dramatic effect? You know that he says that. Like, yeah, probably. But also, if you go, if you actually go to a doctor and you tell him you're having this pain and you feel like something was inserted, the doctor, I'm like, it sounds like you might have been raped. Yeah. Like you were, you were, you know, date raped, and you know, because you were not really conscious for it so what are they supposed to think they're not going to say oh you were abducted clearly this is a this is a classic uh, abduction scenario here i learned in med school (laughs) (laughs) yeah i guess we'll save it for the wrap up on whether or not i believe in whitley or not but because it kind of has something to do with laughing at at the anal probe thing kind of makes you feel bad sometimes it does even though whitley was like getting super mad in media appearances about that kind of stuff he didn't just go away and go back to somewhat of a normal life. We talked about it earlier that he just kept pumping out material and he rushed out a second book in 1988 called transformation, the breakthrough, which did not sell well 
and that's where the um, Larry King one is interviews from. It's okay. It's a follow. It's the follow up to Communion. The release of this book mm-hmm. is the interview, and it is not great. I read that the L.A. Times book editor deemed this book fiction and removed it from the nonfiction <laughs> book and said, "Really, this is not nonfiction." And Whitley was not happy about that. How? How does that process work? <laughs> Who determines that? If someone says this is my story, there's just be like a reviewer that's like, no, no. Well, like, I don't know. How so? Like, could they just take like a wrestling biography and be like, oh, this is fiction? Well, like, I know it's a life story, but who's to say they couldn't just do that? Well, call the LA Times book editor because uh, I'm just like, wondering how yeah, that process I don't, I don't goes. Know. I'm not saying they're wrong. No, I don't know. That's a good question. But when the author is telling you this is my story and they're like, eh. Nah. I mean, books are categorized from the publisher on when um, upon publication. I assume. I, I think it's probably rare that a book editor on the bestseller list like it's just mis mislabeled. We're gonna change it. <laughs> Doesn't it oftentimes say like on a back cover, like in you know small print, like fiction, nonfiction, something like that? Yeah. You know, well, so- this was just their but their bestseller list. So just- I guess they can do whatever they want. It's their fucking list. Oh, it was their bestseller list they moved it. That's yeah, what they said. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah, not the actual framing of the book itself. I just mean like in all bookstores, like in California, oh, no, now no, they no, have no. to move no, on. No, 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 no. <laughs> Did it remain on the list when it was moved to, not, uh, to fiction? Mm, I wonder. I don't know. I don't have that information. Whitley really went off the rails in 1997 with his book, The Secret School, in which he wrote that he had recovered memories from childhood about a secret nighttime school out in the woods ran by aliens that he and other neighborhood kids went to. Whitley also recovered memories of past lives in Rome. According to Whitley, he had been a tutor of a young man before he became emperor. And thanks to his teachings, Whitley personally was responsible for the Roman Empire lasting another 400 years. (laughs) (laughs) Whitley also went back in time as a child to comfort Cicero just before he was executed. Interesting past lives. Our friend Whitley has lived. You know, you know, it's that um, when people have like their past lives, most of the time they weren't just living a normal life oh, or never. like a shitty life. Never. Like, oh yeah, I was poor and shit was just yeah. fucked up. I was a surf who was starving <laughs> and, uh, you know. In my past life, I was a race car driver. <laughs> and I died. And I came back as a race car driver in a different colored car. And then I died. And I came back as a race car driver in a different colored car. That's amazing coincidence. And, and then I came back as Dale Earnhardt. <laughs> Dot, dot, dot. (laughs) Here's the biggest issue with Whitley that is pointed to all over the place is the claims about the University of Texas Tower shooting committed by Charles Whitman in 1966. In communion, Whitley says that he told friends that he witnessed the shootings, but he has no idea why he would say that because it wasn't true and he knew it wasn't true. Whitley wrote, quote, for years, I have been told of being present at the University of Texas when Charles Whitman went on his shooting spree from the tower in 1966, but I wasn't there. For years, I have explained my sudden departure by saying that I couldn't stand the place after the Charles Whitman sniper incident. The truth was, I could have remained after that incident. It was my secret terror that drove me away. There's a guy named Heinrich Molke who wrote a whole book debunking Whitley's stories and it's titled problems with Strieber and the key, which the key master is like this whole thing with Whitley's saga. Okay. Um, 
with like past lives and things. It's but not like a seventies key party with swingers. No. Okay. Unfortunately, I don't believe that's what this book's about. <laughs> but I do like that Mulkey was just like read these books and was like, nah. I'm going to fuck this guy's world up. <laughs> I'm going to dedicate my life now to debunking him. Some shit just rubs you the wrong way. Like, nah, I'm not letting this go. Heinrich points out that one year before communion was released, Whitley did an interview for one of his books where he specifically told a detailed story about the tower shooting saying, quote, I just did a Coke. Sorry. Oh, I misread that. <laughs> I had just had a Coke. I was walking from the student union to the academic center which was an open shelf library near the tower. When I heard a sharp bang that echoed off the university co-op across the street behind me. And the reason I'm alive today is that I didn't turn around. I thought it was coming from the tower. Maybe I saw some movement out of the corner of my eye. All the people in front of me thought the the sound came from the co-op in front of us, not the tower behind. The next thing I saw was a little boy on a bicycle coming toward me. His head just exploded. I didn't hear that one. I knew then that it was coming from the tower. The other people all took cover that shielded from them from the co-op, but left them exposed to the tower. They were all killed, shot. I ran to a little retaining wall about three feet high, which was near the base of the tower building, about 20 yards from it, and I laid down there. He shot two girls in the stomach right behind me, 30 feet away from me, and they were lying in the grass screaming, begging, pleading for help, trying to crawl along. One girl's legs wouldn't work. The other one was vomiting pieces of herself out of her mouth, and I could smell the blood and the odor of their stomachs, what was in their stomachs and their colons. The smell was horrible, coming out of these poor kids, two young co-eds. And he did that to get me and this other guy who was hiding behind this embankment to come out. I stayed there. I was sick with dread, watching them die, knowing that gun was waiting. And the other guy suddenly went out and tried to pull one of them away and got shot in the head and killed. Whitman just shot the top off of his head. I stayed right where I was for a long, long time until I saw them with my own eyes bringing Whitman's body out. The ambulance men came up to me and said, you can come out now, he's dead, but I would not move until I saw him. Pretty harrowing account. According to public information and all other accounts about the Whitman shooting, the youngest male victim was Mark Gabor, age 16, so there was no little boy on a bicycle killed that day goddamn pal in an interview with whitley's mother in 1980s mary streber said that to her recollection whitley was in austin that day and not on campus despite this in his follow-up book transformation whitley went back to saying that he had in fact been on campus that day and witnessed the shooting i don't know Mm. I don't know. It just is what it is. He is, he lied about it and then went back to doubling down on it. Yeah, And it's just important because, you know, you take this all into account then when looking back at his initial story of communion. Like, have this guy went really off the rails after communion where he was trying to be taken seriously and kind of wasn't in a lot of ways with mm. South Park and whatever. So now, you know, it's almost like he's like he's doubling down on everything and it just it doesn't help his case. So we talked about, you know, Whitley's still doing Dreamland. He has his website that he's had since the 90s. Is that the one you showed us? No, that one's for, that's a separate thing for Patreon. Um, Ooh, teaser. (laughs) Yeah, his website that he uh, had since the 90s, Unknown Country. That sounds familiar. They were always promoting that shit on Coast to Coast. Um, He still does that. 
His wife passed away in either 2013 or 2015. His wife, Anne. I don't know what Whitley's doing with that. If he's trying to make money off of that, or if he's just grieving in a really public and odd way. But he says that like an hour after she passed away, that she came back and communicated with him like right away. Mm. An unknown country even has, there's a blog on it that from what I read, it looks like it's her speaking through him really yeah he does a lot of stuff with what she says to him from the afterlife Mm. so what is the argument that is made ian when there's like people like this say we take him for what he says this guy has had all of these experiences with paranormal now and with if, if his wife speaking through him and with aliens he gets all of these experiences and then there'll be like most of us go through our entire lives without one single thing why is that? Is he like marked? Is he chosen? Like, is that what is the argument that people would say for that to, to say why he gets all of this? And like some guy like you who's just trying to get abducted and Dave's just trying to see some black eyed kids. We don't get any of that. There's never really an explanation for it. And that's what makes it tough to, to, for really, us to believe it then. Right. Like this guy saying all of if it was a one off experience and then he, he kind of went on about his way, yeah. you're more likely to be like, maybe something did happen. In all fairness, there's not many, there's not anybody I can think off the top of my head. That's like ended up having all of this happen with like even afterlife experiences. He runs the gamut here. He's trying to, <laughs> he goes all over yeah. he's trying to touch on like every genre yeah. of Necronomapod. If he killed one person. He would have completed it like a grand slam. Right? Like we have heard before though, where people get marked as kids and they come back yeah several times throughout their life but i think the explanation was that those the people you've heard from are maybe not fully susceptible to whatever cloaking mechanism the aliens use so they just remember it yeah we're hearing more from them than from other people who probably don't remember but then why is it that they keep coming back to the same people even ones who don't remember it is it like like when like you tag animals in the wilderness like they're tagging us yeah i think that makes sense and then there's the whole theory of like the alien human hybrid thing where the yeah. their stories of picking the same woman up again and like pushing this little half alien, half human baby, like here, you need to care yeah. for this, like help us because yeah. we can't do it type thing. When I think about whether I believe some of these stories or not, I try to think what would I expect to see from someone who is actually telling the truth? Like if someone, if this really happened to someone, how would their story differ from Whitley's story. I don't really have a good answer of what I would want to see that would make me believe a story like this. I think the way I look at it, like if that happened to me, I, I, I don't think my first instinct or even any instinct I would ever have would be like, oh, you need to write a book about this. Because then I think you're made to look like you're just trying to capitalize off of it. And like, I would probably just tell my close friends and say, I swear this happened. I yeah. know it sounds ridiculous. This happened to me. And that would be it. That's how I would live my rest of my life. I wouldn't be out there doing interviews. He's an author though. Like for most people, I, I, I get that point. Like I wouldn't expect you to write a book about it, but right. that's what he does. Well, I'd have to so maybe write little... first. I don't even know. <laughs> <laughs> I'd have to have a ghost author. Cause I don't know how to spell. 
I, I did see where people question and said like these characters are very similar to characters in your, I forget if I mentioned this earlier, but characters in your earlier fiction works. And he's like, well, that was kind of unconscious rendering before I became aware that this sort of stuff happened to me. There's yeah. a lot of that. That's with pretty him. fishy. When we talked about how he kind of pulls from a lot of other kind of stories that have happened maybe prior, yeah. that to me was kind of the breaking point. He's clearly converting his fictional works into nonfiction. Yeah. Clearly. I think also, like I know you said, Dave, because he, he's a writer, so that's what you do. You would write the book, but I guess you would maybe do it more convincingly if it was real, I would think. And that, I don't, that's I don't my even, point. And what I is, don't what know that what mean? that means. I don't know what exactly. that means, but I don't either. If Whit- I know the way he did it, I'm not buying. If Whitley left communion at communion and didn't do all this other shit, maybe it might be more believable. Okay. Yeah. But he, it seemed like he didn't expect all this. He didn't ex- probably didn't expect it to be a New York times bestseller. I don't think he did. I don't think he expected the, but he wanted it to be though, right? Like he was know. looking for that next hit. But I don't think he expected the Larry Kings of the world to want to interview him in the the anal probe thing become this massive laughing stock. Seemed like when that what? happened, yeah. yeah, he went like really went on the defensive, and then he just I'll show them, yeah, like double down on everything. If this happened to you and it was that traumatic and terrifying, are you going to let them make a movie about it? Like, I'm not going to let them do that and, like, recreate this horrible thing that happened to me knowing, like, how well do alien or abduction movies really do other than, like, you know, maybe the top big ones. Like, I'm not going to let that happen. I don't think. Again, it's like with some of these things we talk about with serial killers. I'm not in that situation, so I can't speak to it. You know, like, as being a victim. But... I feel like I would not let them make a movie about this horribly traumatic experience that I went through. Yeah. I don't know how people deal and expel the demons of trauma like that. I'm sure everyone has their own way of dealing. I don't, but if you're an author looking for that payday, you write the book, you get that big movie, they buy the rights and then you're getting your paydays. I wonder how much you got for that. The rights. $14. I think I saw in my research. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't see that anywhere. Along with the anal probe thing, the other thing that kicked off with Whitley was the whole idea of, oh, you're just doing this to make money. Because Whitley was a number, you know, I had that mm. big success with this and he made money off the movie. You know, yeah. Whitley's net worth, I think, is, I mean, he's doing real well for himself still. He made a career out of. That movie made like a million bucks. How could he be doing <laughs> so well? No, I mean, like everything else he's done yeah. in life, well, you know, he's, cast. he's made a career out of communion look his first two books were made into hollywood horror films like right. can't be doing too bad and if his podcast is doing half as well as ours he's a millionaire <laughs> so <laughs> so that's he brought that shit into the world where it's like oh you're just trying to yeah. to make money off of it we fuck around and joke about or he does about betty and barney hill <laughs> that's the most believable to me that's when the, the only reason the book came out was because that magaz that local magazine heard their story through the grapevine and then just published it without telling them. Barney Hill wanted no part of any no, of that. I of that. absolutely think Barney Hill believes something bad happened. 
And I would like to do that episode again, because at the time, like nobody was fucking listening. I didn't take it as shit seriously. I was just like, oh, what, what can I talk about tonight? Crack horrors. Let's go with that. <laughs> but like what I still go back to is wasn't Betty Hill obsessed with the idea of getting abducted? She wasn't obsessed with and it. Then her, her, and her sister, it happened to her, her sister. She saw a she UFO. No, she saw her sister saw a UFO. And then Betty's like, oh, man, I'd like to see a UFO. It's not and, then it just with it. and then it just happened. Well, not like immediately after conveniently after <laughs> on a trip home but they weren't trying to make money off their book they put their book out in defense of the the magazine we will revisit that yeah. one day i know you want to and i will go in i promise with an open mind because honestly let's be honest i don't remember much of the story anyways other than they were what, driving through like new hampshire was it yeah. and they dis like they lose track of like two hours mm-hmm. and there's like a flaming car like the car's on fire or is it a, a uh, UF, there's a fire it, it looks like a like a burning orb kind of deal. Look just at me. I did a remember. Not bad. Three and a half years ago. <laughs> Pretty fucking impressive. Yeah. That was pre-pandemic. I'm remembering <laughs> shit. I have a question. So we talked about the satanic panic stuff in the past where kind of implanted, forced, hypnotic regression memories that they remember that really didn't happen. Yeah. Is it possible that that may have happened here where Whitley wasn't necessarily making it up, but... In speaking with the hypnotist and with Bud Hopkins, somehow this stuff was forced upon him, and now he remembers it as fact. So he he truly believes it happened. It just didn't. Yeah. He's not lying. He right. thinks it happened. It not just purposefully didn't. lying. He actually, because of those hypnosis sessions, he believes all this now. I think there's a case to be made that he actually believes his stories. Yeah. I think there is a case to that. Mm. Cause and do you think there's people that like, like, could Bud Hopkins be so into this that he's a part of that hypnosis where they put that memory in you? Kind of like how we talked about with, like I just said with Sirhan, where like they led him to recreate the shooting in the hypnosis. Maybe Bud was so into this that like he was part of this project too. When they you're hypnotized, we're gonna put these memories in you. We're not gonna we're not gonna have you recall anything. We're gonna implant the memories in you. I don't know. I mean, he was reading UFO books. You know, he admits that himself. He's putting it into his mind. You know, I go back to Barney Hill. When he left hypnosis, every time it was, you're not going to remember any of this. Um, Right. And him and Betty had pretty much the same account. It was done very scientific. And the the Barney Hill tapes is terrifying to listen to. That man is going through something here i don't know you know just not as credible no and it's it's disappointing i guess because he's like a staple of the ufo community right. you know? ian believes in jeff the talking mongoose but not this story <laughs> no jeff is more credible than <laughs> damn than whitley you just got dunked on whitley by a mongoose believer a i mean talking mongoose believer. <laughs> but i will say like the three of us were not believers in like afterlife or ghosts and stuff like that. So I think we are all more open-minded to abduction and alien stuff. All three of us are. So I think we're fair when we look at these stories. I think of all the ones we've done, we believe maybe less than a quarter of them, I think. Oh, yeah. Like, what is it? Fire in the sky, we believed. Mm-hmm. And then was it the kids with the school? Yeah, the aerial school. Oh, yeah. 
Absolutely. And then what was the the the, the British like the or the UK like the woods? Uh, Rendlesham. Rendlesham. Did we believe that one? I do. Because there was like the like, military involved in that. Mm-hmm. And like I think that's it. We tend yeah. to be pretty tough on these, but we we believe that this can happen as opposed to more of like the poltergeist where you know we kind of have more fun with those. I think the only one that we differed on was Betty and Treason. And that for me is more that I want to believe Betty because her story is fucking crazy mm-hmm. with the interdimensional stuff. Like I want to believe that that's what it's that's like. That's the one with the food, right? The uh, <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, that's funny. Mm-hmm. That's good. They like took her on the tour when they realized she wasn't scared. At least that's what it seems like. Yeah, that was a good one. So, but that's the story of Willie Strieber. I think we're all thumbs down on this one. Yeah, I'm not buying it. There's too much side noise going on that leads me to think this was all made up i agree yeah too much ha ha (laughs) (laughs) i mean who knows if he's not lying you know and he really did go to the doctor and the doctor did say that he was raped like i saw things out there talking about like maybe this was all just a defense mechanism for dealing with trauma like something like being made, raped yeah something. like or something like really childhood trauma yeah like something really did happen to him yeah, if that if that yeah. doctor appointment's real like if he went to the but, doctor and said that he was raped okay well he was either raped by aliens or he was raped by another human yeah and we don't know what he said to the doctor but right. if you're talking about feeling something you know uh, inside of you it probed you anally and you had this pain and whatever else he might have said what is the doctor supposed to say He's not going to say you were abducted. Well, no, yeah. Whitley could have done it to himself. Yeah, that's true, too. Maybe he had like a cucumber fetish or something. <laughs> Put it on in there. Maybe, maybe mean, he I did. Don't know. Holes is holes. <laughs> and if you're going to do it, be healthy. Use a vegetable, right? Sure. You can make a salad afterwards. Does that have anything to do with like, there's, there's got to be a toss salad joke in there somewhere. <laughs> toss your own salad. <laughs> Ask to moth. Oh man, that would be legit. Just ass to mouth, right? Get your penny fi- penny flavored <laughs> salad. You just pull the cucumber fucking out of your asshole and start eating it like a candy bar. <laughs> oh man! You peel it first. Cucumber can be a little rough. If it's in your ass, you should peel it before you eat it. But maybe you like the you know the little extra pain. I don't know. Mm. It's like pickled for your pleasure with all those little pickled spots, huh? <laughs> Well, a pickle will be tiny, pal. Come on. You got You probably start with a pickle, right? You work up to a cucumber, right? I mean, come on. You're not starting. You're not. If you're going to be breaking your own anal virginity with whatever you're doing, I don't think you're going cucumber to start off the bat. You might go with a little pickle. Like a baby, a baby dill. A baby dill. I was about to say, you realize a, cu- a pickle is a cucumber, right? Right, but I'm saying like there's a difference between like the little pickles you buy at the store and then a cucumber, which uh, is understood. quite bigger. Understood. Like, come on here. You can get a little, and then you work to like one of the little mini cucumbers. They sell them like the bags. Yeah. Build up to it. Yeah. You got to put a tolerance in there. I would imagine. You don't want to stretch quickly. I would have no time for bread and butter pickles. Get the fuck out of here with that nasty <laughs> shit. You don't like bread and Sweet butter pickles? pickles are disgusting. I agree. Yeah, I prefer dill pickles. Yeah. Love a good pickle. Not in my bum, but in my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> what well, took a left turn at the end? Yeah, it really did. I tried to behave. All right. Anything else on this one? No. no. It was fun to read communion again. 
Uh, yeah, I haven't read cool. that in a long time. It's worth. It's definitely worth reading. I'd say half of the book is just Whitley kind of pontificating to himself about you know if what they are, if they're interdimensional yeah. and things like that. Maybe trying to convince himself throughout that it's real. Maybe. Yeah. It was nice doing. You know, we did those three weeks on Dean Coral, and then which was obviously extreme. We had people tell us that, you know, those were some of the episodes they couldn't get through. It was a lot. It was very heavy, very heavy. But then follow up with Poltergeist and an abduction story. That's good stuff. Yeah. Last week was a lot of fun. Was it? It was. uh, You don't remember much. Honest to God, I don't think Dave knew where he was for that episode. He did not know what planet he was on. You want to talk about being abducted? He probably could have read a book about that. He might. He lost track of about two hours last week. I was drinking that vodka and Gatorade, but I was. But it was just like drinking Gatorade. I was just pounding them down. I'm like, uh oh, I'm gonna have a problem there. Splenda and Scotch. Get you drunk like Scotch. Tastes like Splenda. Or was it taste like Splenda? Get you drunk like Scotch. That was the drunkest you have ever been for an episode. I think. Yeah, I think so. It might have been. Yeah. You have that one. You have what, Catherine Knight? Yeah. We got to go find what mine is. I wasn't saying anything stupid on Catherine Knight. Like I had to edit no. it all together. If people heard the unedited version, like how I was talking, <laughs> then yeah. Yeah. You were just, I mean, I'm not saying you hammered. were being a, you know, yeah. A, a drunk asshole. You were just didn't know what you didn't know what planet you were on. No. You're trying to tell Dave and I a story. And I guess we followed along. We probably were just getting drunk with you, but that was a high point. Good stuff. But anyways, yeah, the last two weeks were fun. Yeah. And then I think we're back to some serious talk the next few weeks. A lot of fuckery going down and going on down in Arkansas. Oh, back to Arkansas for some fuckery. Yep. That never happens there. (laughs) A lot of good times and fuckery down there. (laughs) A lot of good fuckery to be had. (laughs) Uh, I think, uh, Mr. President, can you sit in for the next few weeks? I'll be here, boys. Don't you worry. All right. Awesome. We just booked him. See that? Yeah. We don't have to pay his what hundred thousand dollar fee that he probably charges for <laughs> I his. Did, uh, I didn't say that. <laughs> Declan, give him my checkbook. <laughs> All right, we got some patron shoutouts this week. Thank you very much to Tessa Rose Migley, Raccoon Ravioli, Tony Valadares, Mary Muff Muncher. Ooh, I like the alliteration. Chelsea Mayot. Jack Kelly, Danny Rose, Graham Plomp, Aaron Asbell, Jeff's girlfriend Aaron, Isaac Salinas, Sarah Horgan, G.B. Burton, Beth Upton, River Montana, Dixon Butts. <laughs> Good one. Dave. Something. <laughs> ah, damn. Bailey Ryan, Libby, Caroline Sebastian, Robocock. Dylan Harris, Brian Nickpon, Nickpon, Mike's giggle makes my wife dry. Dave's giggle makes my wife wet. These are different names, people. <laughs> Ian's giggle makes my wife wet. Max Spink, Bigfoot's big clit. That's something. Jasmine <laughs> Brito, Brito, L-I-O, E, her fourth. Mike's giggle makes me dry. That must be the missus. <laughs> Dylan Neal, Maria Cattell, Emily Rudder, 
Elise Stevens, Kaylee Rose, Dave's Giggle Makes Me Wet. Must be the missus coming back. People spent a fortune on reading names this month. <laughs> it's Mrs. Hildebrand from the bank. Oh, I love oh, that lady. She's <laughs> haunting me now. <laughs> Justine Lock- Locker. 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 Alan Fontenot. Dick Fardass. Is <laughs> that you, Dave? No. Did you not do one this month? I don't know. Talk. Did uh, I? No, I see you. I see it. <laughs> For Nanny 90, Zach Mink. Gabby, Jenna, Talia. <laughs> What's what threw me off is Dave usually puts his names early. This time he 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 worked me. He put it at the end. It's <laughs> a good one. Amber Moon, Daddy Light, Corey Francis. Thank you all very much. We're at patreon.com slash Necronomapod. Uh Ian, you got some shout-outs from iTunes? For iTunes, I have one for Alex Nagelli. Yoga Jess 27, Mike's Taint. We've heard that one before. Would they update it? I think so. Danny Smells, Captain Cowboy, Gidget 84, Jen 1010, Amanda Marie 44, Michael Dubowski, and Call Me Jay. Thank you guys for the awesome reviews. A lot of good reviews lately. Yeah. I keep looking, waiting for something mean to show up and all positive stuff lately. Um, what are we going to go with first, Dave? You got, you have a, I know you have a story, you have international and you have military. What do you want to do first? Uh, let's do the international shout outs. Okay. Do that. I have Rhiannon UK from uh, Scotland. Her review indicated she's, uh, would be up for the $200 patron level. So as soon as that's what it would, what did we drunkenly promise at that level? <laughs> I Am I showing Dick at that I, level? Apparently so, but. Well, well, apparently, did she say that? No, she just okay. referenced the 200. It just maybe, means she loves us, Mike. Maybe she wants she some mic drawing. Us. She wants some mic drawing. Maybe she does. Bucks. No problem. <laughs> Leafs diehard 71 from Canada. Patty Welshman from Great Britain. BKC2703 from Australia. CJS1978 from Canada. And Grady Ogilvie from Australia. Thank you very much for the uh, kind reviews from... All over the world. I'm glad that they let them use the internet to leave reviews in the prison colonies in Australia. That's it's very nice, nice right? of the prison guards. Yeah. That they can listen to us even. In most prisons, they take your phones away. Like, it's contraband. You're not allowed to have Well, them. I assume they're using, like, the library <laughs> oh, computers. Right. Yeah. <laughs> they're not having phones, probably. <laughs> Unless it's minimum security. It seems I, minimum security. I would imagine in Australia, the high-risk, like, uh upper level like the rough prisons mm-hmm. the prison guards are probably just kangaroos right like just <laughs> running around like fucking try to do something punching those inmates yeah they try like, to do it escape. do it yeah like are you gonna start a prison riot if it's just a 15 kangaroos like just watching no sir. waiting no sir waiting for an excuse <laughs> to knock you the fuck out no i'm i'm straight in line those kangaroos are just standing around with mirror sunglasses on and cans of Fosters yeah, all just day. like with their fucking packs just <laughs> out, just like step up, please. Then like a little fucking baby kangaroo pack popped up in the pouch. Like, aw. Um, a f- so a few weeks ago, we had mentioned that if you are a part of the United States military, we want to hear from you. If you're one of our listeners, shoot us a DM on any of the platforms. Um, 
or hit, you know, Dave and Ian up. They have their uh, Instagrams, Dave Nama underscore Namapod, Ian underscore Namapod. Hit us up on Patreon. We want to give you special shout outs um, just for being a listener. So hit us up. And I think we have a few tonight, Dave. Uh, we do. I have uh, Brad and his wife, Donna Shepard. Uh, Brad's retired U.S. Army. We have a Shelby Kuntz who sent us a great story about uh, yeah. dog they rescued overseas. Really cool story. Really neat. Yeah. And Elijah Sellers and Megan Rangel. Megan's getting deployed overseas soon, so best of luck. Stay safe over there. Yeah, safe travels. Yeah. Good thank, luck. Thank you for your service, everyone. Thank you for listening. Yeah, thank you. Very much appreciated. Dave, you got one more thing? I do have one more. We got an email from Jenna. Apparently, her and her sister are big fans, and they were on a cruise to Bermuda recently. And throughout the cruise, they were yelling, he Elmer at each other, <laughs> celebrating, you know, going back to the Children of God episode with Ian and his long time ago. He Elmer. So I think Ian owes him a, a he They would like to get a he Elmer from Ian. He Elmer. Nice. That's fantastic. <laughs> so they sent a picture where they drew he Elmer in the uh, in the sand in Bermuda. So. I feel like we hijacked their vacation. <laughs> yeah. And I'm so proud of that. <laughs> like they're just running around the cruise ship going, Hilmer, Hilmer. <laughs> like you just, like imagine if you're just a regular patron sitting there, right. you know, and then you just hear people fucking yelling Hilmer all around. You're like, can we get these drunk asses, like throw them overboard or something? <laughs> no, good for them. I'm proud of them. Hilmer. So good for you guys. Thanks. That's pretty cool. I mean, it would have been really cool if they would have got drunk and got it tattooed on them somewhere, but like on their <laughs> forehead. Well, that's <laughs> that's intense. I meant like a tramp stamp, or you know, maybe on the on the you know underneath their forearm, maybe. Mm-hmm. Maybe on their pelvis, Hilmer. Hilmer. Maybe name their firstborn Hilmer. There you go. I think that would warrant a shout out if they did that. I would think so. We'll get them like a special little uh, Necronomapod onesie made or something to send to them. <laughs> By the way, if there are, if you buy a Necronomapod onesie anywhere out there, it's bootleg and we don't see any of that. So don't do that, please. The bootlegs are running wild recently for the record. They're everywhere. Yeah. Dude, <laughs> nothing you can even do about it. <laughs> we'll remind you, unless it's from Amazon and made by Amazon, it's not official. Or you can, anything we have on our website, which is what, just stickers at this point. They're all sold out. Sold out of stickers. We're working on a whole new store setup coming soon. So working on it. Yes. And I think we're going to do stickers and koozies again, too, that we'll sell. We, we had talked about we're, we're trying to get back to it. It's going to take a little time, but there has been a call for stickers and koozies. And I know we had discussed it. We'll just come up with new designs and stuff. And look, we're doing the best we can here, folks. We're working with fucking dipshit Declan, who's <laughs> behind on all of his work we gave him. <laughs> He is supposed to have the outline for the bonus show that we're going to record in a couple nights to Ian days ago. I yeah. bet you don't have it yet, do you? I don't. No. And then Ian passes it off to us like he wrote it. <laughs> so anyways, unless it's specifically from Amazon, it's not from us. Yeah, I, I Googled um, Necronomapod a couple days ago. I don't There's know like why I did that. notebooks and baby clothes. Like literally yeah, everything. It's, it's out of Everything. Hand. Yeah. Yeah. So if you want to buy it, go ahead. I mean, you can buy it. I mean, wrap <laughs> us, I guess, but just know yeah. you're stealing from us. So you're a bad person. So <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. All right. We good? Yeah, I think so. 
We are on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube at Necronomapod, Amazon.com, search Necronomapod for all the official merchandise, and Patreon.com slash Necronomapod. Thank you all so very, very much. All right, you guys ready for a cool down beer? Cheers. <laughs>